about fear and faith. Fear is a pretty common human experience. Some of us may have felt fear just sitting right now. Fear might have arisen. Many of us might be feeling fear in various ways now because of the conflict. For ourselves, our families, our friends, our country, (coughs) our enemies, others, everybody out there who's being threatened in some way by the violence that we're all experiencing. Fear is a part of all of our lives in some way because it's just a part of every human life. Part of being human is feeling fear. And there's nothing wrong with that. And in my experience, when we engage deeply in this practice, really in any deep spiritual work, it's an inevitable part of the work of opening to deeper layers of the self, of who we are. To the unseen aspects of who we are is fear. It's fear and resistance. And fear is actually an essential and important and positive emotion in our life, right? It warns us of a danger. It allows us to respond quickly and energetically. We'd be in a lot of, of problems if we didn't experience fear when we saw the car rushing towards us on the street, right? We don't want to get rid of fear. Our problem in relationship to fear is that our bodies get caught in a fear response. We start to become habitually connected to a fear response in various ways. And then we get trapped in our fear. Even if there's no immediate threat at the moment, our body remains tight and on guard, our mind remains narrowed to focus on what might go wrong. That's part of the fear response. We get tight, we get narrow, we get focused on the bear. Right? There's the bear. What do I do? How do I get away from the bear? I don't make sure the bear doesn't eat me. Which is a good response when we see the bear. The problem is that most of the time, there's no bear. Right? But we are still caught in one way or another because we have this ability to think about the future, to worry about the future, to get involved in habitual responses of anxiety and fear and concern. We get caught in those responses and those patterns in ways which isn't serving us, actually anymore at the moment. You can notice it in the tension in our bodies, in the hunched shoulders, in the knotted muscles, and our constant attempts to protect ourselves. There's some place inside of us which does this, and it does this because it thinks that this constant generation of fear is going to help us. It's going to keep us on guard. It's going to stop us from getting hurt in some way. It's going to warn us of whatever danger might arise. And again, there's something true to that. It's always important to recognize what's true there. It's true, for instance, that we humans seem to have a negative bias in our perception, which is probably adaptive, right? Because then you're always on the lookout for danger and what might eat you in your environment, right? It makes a lot of sense. And we've learned, actually, we learned through our own experience at some point in our life that this fear and anxiety was somehow safer than the alternative. And that was actually probably true for us at some point in our lives. 
probably when we were kids in some way, right? It was safer for us to feel the fear than to feel whatever was the consequence of feeling um, unprotected, let loose in the world, unsupported, like we were filling up and living up to whatever it is we needed to do to receive the love and protection and care that we felt we needed in some way. Whatever it was, it gave us a feeling of, of control. It helped us do the things that were necessary to keep us safe. And it's important to recognize that it probably really did that, right? It served some purpose. But we're not those kids anymore. We don't need that fear and anxiety anymore. But we're stuck, so many of us, in that pattern of fear and anxiety, in that pattern of holding on to, oh no, what's going to happen next? Mark Twain said, a genius commentator, my life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. <laughs> and that's true of most of us in one way or another, right? We're constantly predicting some failure, some danger, some tragedy which we're going to encounter. Something is going to go terribly wrong. We overreact to situations because they trigger some past feeling of powerlessness or fear. And we all do it in our own ways. It might be, and this is certainly a past experience of mine, we're late for an appointment and we think the world is going to end, right? <laughs> oh my God, how could I be late? It's so terrible. There's this whole like, story going on in our mind, this terrible thing we're doing. Someone tells us... Um, maybe to be quiet, and we think they hate us, right? <laughs> you can choose what it is for you, right? What gets your stories going? What gets your triggers reacting in some way? And even those of us who don't feel fear or anxiety as a persistent companion in our life are still living with that deep and basic fear of all humans, which is the fear of deterioration and death, a kind of craving for existence. Again, totally normal, right? It's totally normal. It's a fear which is at the bottom of each of us, and it's, it's part of what's necessary to confront on this path. It's the reality, which we can say and which we know is true, that me and every single person I love and cherish is going to die. Right? That is just the reality of human life. That's the way it is. And you all know that, right? But as the presenter said, we all know that up here. Doesn't we all know that in here? Right? And we so still live sometimes with that, keeping that reality at arm's distance. We don't want to see it, we don't want to experience it, we don't want to hear it. And it's indeed, it's part of our culture, unfortunately, in many ways, right? The way, the way death is institutionalized in our culture, and in our contemporary culture, as opposed to pre-modern cultures, we actually don't encounter death in the same direct way that people used to, right? So old people go to particular places to die. People who are badly injured or hurt in some ways go to particular places to die. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe we're trying to take care of them in certain ways. But the fact of the matter is that it actually removes most of us from that direct experience of death as a sort of commonplace part of our life experience. Woody Allen, 
another great commentator, <laughs> said, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> and that's what all of it is. It's like on the abstract, death is fine. Of course I'm going to die. I'm totally, I'm cool with that, right? <laughs> How could I not be okay with that? But when we actually experience that fear, we run away in one way or another. And so we sustain what Tara Brach calls that trance of fear by our various strategies to avoid that fear. That fear comes in all different places, right? So one way is we lash out in anger, right? Or hatred. So I know for me, it's like, oh, feel threatened. The conflict right now, feel threatened. Easy response, easy response is anger, is blame, is making the other the enemy, right? Is hatred. It's like, oh, that makes me feel safe, protected. Maybe we try harder to be good and to avoid any disapproval. We're worried about getting it wrong. If I'm like tight and clenched enough and I do it all right and perfectly and I get everywhere on time and I hand in all my assignments and I do everything at work just perfectly, nobody will be angry with me, nothing will go wrong, there'll be nothing to fear. Maybe we lie. Right? Because we want to avoid the, the terror of the confrontation of having disappointed somebody or let somebody down or not done what feels like the right thing. Right? So we dissemble in some way, we avoid it, we don't admit to the truth. Or maybe we distract ourselves with something that helps us avoid the fear. Right? We turn on the television, we do whatever it is we do, chocolate, sex, right? whatever it is for you. Ever helps you distract, move away from that uncomfortable place of fear. Maybe we have fantasies of success, or fantasies of revenge, or fantasies of power, right? Something that makes us feel all right and secure in the face of that uncertainty. It's an actual conversation I had with Debbie a while ago, which I wrote down after we had the conversation. Debbie said something, I don't remember what, and I said, stop snapping at me. And Debbie said, I'm in a terrible mood because I'm worried about this doctor's appointment. She's happening while she was pregnant. I said, okay, okay, but you don't have to snap at me. Let's talk about it. She said, why would I want to talk about it when I can just avoid the uncomfortable emotions by snapping at you? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty wise. <right? laughs> Pretty clear, right? <laughs> so unfortunately, most of the time, we don't quite have that self-reflective awareness, right? <laughs> We're not aware enough to be like, all right, I'm just yelling at this person right now because I'm trying to avoid the uncomfortable fear and anxiety inside of me. And of course, the sad part is that out of this fear... We hold back by being fully who we are, by becoming fully who we can be. We're not willing to really pursue our dreams because there's this fear of failure, of it not working out, of it not being true. Beatrix Potter, who wrote the famous children's stories, right, said, Most people, after one success, are so cringingly afraid of doing less well that they rub all the edges off their subsequent work. I think there's something really true to that. You know, we're 
It's hard for us when willing to step out to the edge again and again. And that can be in whatever place our work is. You know, some of us will be creative work, some of it will be something else, right? So in my teaching, it's like, am I willing to step out on the edge again and again, to take risks again and again, to be honest again and again, instead of falling into whatever formula seemed to work last time? But, of course, it's only at the edge that growth and discovery and exhilaration happen. If we're not willing to go to the edge, then life gets very dull, gets very shut down, gets very boring. And of course, the, the um, unfortunate truth is that none of these strategies ultimately work. I mean, really work to just avoid it. Maybe I'd say go for it. <laughs> Eat the ice cream, right? <laughs> Live it up. But they just don't work, right? We all know that. We're all here because in some ways we know that we've experienced it. You know, we've tried all those things. It just doesn't work out, right? We don't get to avoid the fear. The fear still comes back. We don't get to live life fully. Life feels dulled and limited in some way. We don't get to open to who we fully are. And so if we want to truly live basically. If you want to be alive, then we have to open to fear. Because fear is just part of what it means to be alive. We have to open to fear. And opening to fear is actually the work of faith. It's what faith really is. Bitachon, emunah. Emunah and bitachon, which really both mean in their core meanings, trust. Right? Faith is this work of trust. Right? Nachman Abratzav says, right? The world is a narrow bridge, and the essence is not to be afraid. It was a tremendous challenge. Right? Tremendous challenge. Like, it's acknowledging the scariness and not being overcome by the fear. And that's faith. And I want to be very clear about this, because... This is my own, you know, confession. For many years, I didn't want anything to do with the word emunah, with the word faith. It didn't make any sense to me. Felt Pollyannish, and just kind of wrong, and um, like people pretending things about the world, and didn't have any connection to my experience, to my spiritual experience, and relationship to the divine. It didn't make any sense to me. And the last few years. I've really felt an experience in my, um, my understanding of faith and my relationship to faith. And it came from understanding, I think now, what really is the core meaning of this faith, and this faith certainly in the Hasidic understanding. The Baal Shem Tov taught, he said, when we're confused, what we should do is ask to be strengthened in faith. Not to know the answer, but to be asked to be strengthened in faith. And the nature of faith, and for this, I think in this way, it's very much like people are familiar with 12-step programs, you know, in AA, which talk about taking refuge in the higher power. It's that same sense. Faith is that sense of trust. It's a sense of trust in something larger than us, in something greater than us. It's a sense of trust which incorporates first the recognition that we are not in control, which is one of the key parts of the recognition. It's like there is something bigger than us out there. 
It's not actually all up to me. I'm not in control of it all. And secondly, that there is trust that I can be with whatever happens, that I can have trust in the kind of unfolding of the world that I can be with what is going to be present. And it's very important. That trust is not trust that everything is going to work out. That's still the part of faith that doesn't make any sense to me, that people talk about faith sometimes that way. Because as far as I can tell, things don't necessarily work out. That's just the nature of life, right? <laughs> Terrible things happen. Traumas happen. Tragedies happen. People die. People get sick. All kinds of things happen. That's the nature of life. Everything is not going to work out. In pretty much every human life, everything is not going to work out. Some fairy godmother isn't going to come and make everything okay. And that's especially what worries me about that faith is that the feeling is that, you know, if we're just good little boys and girls, right, if I just do everything right, then maybe everything will work out okay. And it's just not true. Even if you do everything right, everything will work out okay. Right? That's the nature of human life. Things change. Things are good and then things are bad. That's what happens. But faith is deeper than that. Faith is saying, I can be alright, whatever it is that arises. I can be present with whatever it is that arises. And part of that, knowing that I can be alright, is knowing that it's not up to me. That there's something bigger than me out there, that I'm not in control, and my job is just to be present with whatever it is that presents itself to my experience. Hafiz, the Sufi mystic, said, Fear is the cheapest room in the house. I would like to see you living in better conditions. <laughs> just a lovely line. Lovely line, right? And there are better conditions out there. That's the truth. The truth is that there are better conditions. And that they're accessible to all of us. The box seats, accessible to all of us. The price of the ticket is just work, right? <laughs> just doing the work with ourselves. And so the faith we're trying to cultivate is that wisdom to know that we can be okay with whatever arises. That we have the capacity to contain it all. It's what we say every morning. What we say of Hashem every morning, Yotzer Or Uvorei Choshech Oseh Shalom Of course, the original Pasuk says Uvorei right? <laughs> so we don't want to be like too strong about it. So we say, creates light and makes darkness, um, makes peace and creates everything. But the original says and creates evil, right? And it's really an opportunity for us to see and acknowledge that's right. That's right. If we're sort of, you know, monotheists at one level, it means it's all coming from one source. It's all coming from one reality. And it's all there. It's all there. And it doesn't mean, and this is important, the original pursuit doesn't say but it's not really ra. Right? It's not sort of about that smudging the layers there and saying, oh, but really, it's all for the best. It's all for the best. It's saying, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's bad. And yet we have faith. And it's the same thing. We have this tradition right in the Gemara, which we, here's a tradition, which is that we bless on the bad just as we bless on the good. 
And again, I think it's important to understand blessing on the bad is not saying thank you that this bad thing happened. Right? It's not saying that. In fact, what we say is Baruch Dayan Emet. Blessed is the true judge, which is he's not saying thank you that this happened. Right? He's not saying thank you the compassionate giving one. <laughs> we bless by saying thank you for, thank you that this is the truth. Not good, not bad. It's just like, yes, I'm acknowledging this is the truth right now. Somebody I love just died. That's the truth. That's, I could run away from that truth. That's not going to help me. So I say that blessing was just a way of saying, yes. Yes, this is what's true at the moment. How can I be with that which is true? And just, I think, you know, again, I think our morning rituals is a good example of it. We say, Baruch Dayan Emet. Does that mean that we're supposed to be cheery during morning? No. <laughs> That's not what our tradition teaches. We're supposed to cry. We're supposed to be sad. We're supposed to do all these things that show our sorrow and our loss. Right? The blessing is not about saying it's not a loss. It's not a bad thing that happened. The blessed thing is about saying this is true. And the whole process of mourning is about saying this is true. We're not going to run away from it. We're not going to hide it. We're going to take a step outside the world and devote at least seven days to saying this is true. How do I be with this? How do I open to this? How do I acknowledge this loss? And so faith in that sense, this is where you know, I'm going to end. I'm going to end a little bit early today. So there's a little time for questions because apparently there's a terrible traffic jail in Pirkenegg and I'm going to have to run to like the next corner to get, get, get the last bus up north. Um, what this faith is actually in is faith in our fragility. I'm going to say that again. It is, it's not the faith that we won't fall apart. We can kind of, we can grit and bear it, we can hold it together in whatever the situation is. It's actually the faith in the fact that we can be vulnerable, that we can be fragile and we can fall apart, and we can hold that fragility and that vulnerability. Right? There's something greater, there's something wider, in which we can hold that softness, in which we can hold our shattered heart, in which we can hold... As the Midrash says, the shattered tablets, right? The shattered tablets are also in the ark with the whole tablets, right? And we hold that shatteredness. We hold it all together. We carry it in the Aron Kodesh. We carry it in the ark. And it's very important because the other option is to shut down to the world, to hold in, to shut down, to control, to, <clears throat> right? To grin and bear it. Martha Nussbaum, who's a philosopher and was a teacher of mine, said, to be a good human being is to have a kind of openness to the world, an ability to trust uncertain things beyond your control that can lead you to be shattered in very extreme circumstances for which you were not to blame. That says something very important about the condition of the ethical life that is based on a trust in the uncertain and a willingness to be exposed. It's based on being more like a plant than like a jewel, something rather fragile, but whose very particular beauty is inseparable from that fragility. Beautiful. There's something more like a plant than a jewel. Right? There's something, our beauty is connected to our fragility, to our willingness to open, to our ability actually to fall apart at times and to hold that falling apart. So we do some things in the practice. Practice is just letting ourselves completely fall apart inside and giving ourselves the container to hold that falling apart, 
so it doesn't feel like we're being smashed and torn by a storm out of nowhere to find safety. But there's a kind of raging storm in which we are bobbing and we can still see the wider space of the ocean. Because in the perspective of the ocean, the perspective of the sky, the storm's okay. Right? The storm's just a phenomenon that's manifesting right now, it's happening, it's raging, it's got all its characteristics, but it isn't all of the truth. There's a wider truth. There's the truth of the water, there's the truth of the sky, which the lightning and the rage, etc., is existing within, but it doesn't take it over. And there's a way in which we can fall apart completely, and we can hold that space. So we're going to talk about next time, I'm going to leave some space for questions now, is how we do that. It's easy to say. <laughs> how do we actually start to make those conditions to hold that space to allow that falling apart and fragility to happen? Um, and for now, we're going to take the next few minutes to open up as normal to any questions or comments or thoughts people might have. So for me, faith, I would say, is the trust that there is always something larger, something wider, something more expansive in which I can take refuge. So actually that's like batach bashem, right? Uh, faith and trust in God. There's something wider there. And that's sort of my refuge. That's my hope. That's that sort of hand of God in which I can take refuge in it. Um, and that's true in any situation, whatever happens. And it doesn't in any way diminish the terribleness of what might have happened. First of all, you can always ask things again, because basically I just say the same like five things over again. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what happens, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so fear is a good example of that. So often we try to control our feelings in some way, and that means we repress them, we act out of them, which is actually just another form of control try to put them into a particular box or place. We try to smother them over or drown them out. And in the opposite, the work here, which is again the work of faith, is how do we fully open to those feelings without getting overwhelmed by that? And again, faith is another way of talking about how we open without getting overwhelmed. It's saying there's something wider here. There's something more expansive. There's a container in which I can hold that fear. And when I do that, it's like that image of the storm in the ocean, right? It's like, ah, oh, there's the ocean, and there's a storm, and the storm is scary. <laughs> the fear is there, and it's scary, but it's not overwhelming, because I can see there's something much, 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 much wider than the fear, much, much more expansive than the fear. And so the fear then doesn't take me over. 
And I don't need to control the fear then at any moment. I'm not trying to make it do anything. The fear can do whatever it needs to do. It may need to work itself out. It may need to grow. It may need to lessen. That's all okay. The fear can do its thing. I'm not controlling the fear. But it also doesn't mean I'm just falling into the fear. I'm taking that conscious step of saying, oh, what's wider here? What can I see that's wider? What's the wider perspective I can see here? What's that place of mindfulness, which is the place that can hold all of this? Then I can see, oh, I'm as wide as the sky. There's lightning bolts happening in the sky, and that's okay, and I can see them. And then also that wider perspective starts to enable us to start to relate with compassion to what's actually happening internally at the moment. So then it's like, oh, not just, oh, see the fear and storm, but it's like, oh, storm. That's really hard, isn't it? <laughs> that lightning is pretty scary. Right? Just like you would take like your kid. Or if there's a lightning storm and they were scared of lightning, you'd hold them and be like, yeah, it's pretty scary, that lightning, isn't it? You're okay. I'm holding you. You're going to be okay. But it's totally fine to feel scared. It's scary. Yeah, those big crashes, that's scary, isn't it? You just hold them. You'd tell them it was okay. You'd acknowledge their fear. You'd understand how reasonable it was. And you'd hold them in that larger container. And it's the same thing we're doing here with that sense of faith. We're creating that larger container to hold what's happening in the moment. I had one other piece for that before I finish, which is, having said all that, it's also important to acknowledge, which again is different from control, is that we want to cultivate certain feelings and states at certain times, right? So we might want to cultivate joy, or cultivate peace, or cultivate love, or cultivate compassion. Again, we're not controlling it, we're not forcing it to be there. We're inviting it to be present for various reasons. For instance, when we feel fear, we might want to cultivate love, because love helps us create that container. So often, if we don't have the love present, then it's too overwhelming. We can't be with the fear. We don't have enough buoyancy and spaciousness of mind to enable ourselves to contain the fear. So if you notice that, you notice that you're trying to be with it and it's too much, so then you want to say, oh, how can I cultivate some other well-being here? Some love, some compassion, some joy. How can I create a little more buoyancy of the mind? Because that's what enables me to create the container to hold the fear, to make it possible to be out. Um, so I apologize. I'm going to end quite early today, so to make sure I can get back home. Um, again, classes by donation. Um, please give as you leave. I'll leave. Uh, the donations will be collected. If you're new, a sign-up sheet will be put out for email addresses. If you'd like to be on the email list for the class, please put down your emails there. We have a retreat coming up in two weeks. Um, if you're interested, please sign up, although I think it may already be full, but if it's not full, please sign up. <laughs> um, and I uh, look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank <laughs> you.